1: Coming up this hour, an inspirational word from Billy Graham as we prepare for Easter. And then, Aubrey shares some really big news with us. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Happy Rainy dark it is Rainy Wednesday. Dark
2: Wednesday. I mean it kinda of felt like if today was Good Friday, I'd be like, yes. Ah. So- the creation knows what day it is. You know what I mean? It feels like a Good Friday
0: weather creation, kind of day.
1: All creation is groaning. That's right. That's, <laughs> That's right. what That's it would right. feel like. Well, we are glad that you are with us today. If you've missed any of our shows this week, go get the podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. Aubrey, besides it being cold and rainy and everything, how are you today?
2: I'm doing grand. Yep. Doing just Dandy.
1: People who listen on a regular basis are just waiting for you to one day to be like, I'm off today. I'm sick. Every day it's like, yes, here like we go. That. Look,
2: the people got to see me when my mother in law died. The people got to hear me when I had COVID. They've heard the range of who Aubrey Samson is. So okay. it, I'm Jolly right now. Jolly. And I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it and celebrate
1: it. Well, we're gonna we're gonna play off that enthusiasm today and that energy as we prepare for Easter. Easter is coming. And one of the things we've been doing this week, Aubrey, is to try to help people focus themselves on Easter, on on the entire whole. Holy Week. We got Good Friday coming, and Monday, Thursday, and, and to the pinnacle of all being Easter Sunday. And we're trying to tell people, prepare, 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 get yeah. ready. And with that in mind, what better preparation could we do than listen to Billy Graham?
2: I mean, I feel like the good Christians listen to Billy Graham. So
1: Billy Graham, uh, I was just kind of tooling around on YouTube, and I found a uh, a short clip from an Easter message he, came to, uh, he gave. I listened to it. And I was ready for Easter. And right, so I'm like, all right, it. let's listen. Here's Billy Graham talking about Easter.
3: You know, they only brought three charges against him to crucify him. One, they said, this man loves sinners. The second, he healed on the Sabbath day. And the third, he claimed to be the son of God. And then look at the death he died. Did ever a man die like Jesus? The lightning flashed and the thunder roared and the earth began to shake. They first took long leather thongs with steel pellets or lead pellets on the end and beat him across the back until he could hardly stand up. Then they put a crown of thorns on his brow and his face was bleeding. And he dragged and lifted and hauled that cross. And then, on the cross... He said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he dropped his head and said, it's finished. Yes, they laid him away in a tomb. And when they went out to the tomb that morning, they heard the greatest news the world has ever known. He is not here. He is risen. He's alive. He is not here. could not hold him he has conquered the grave that's the greatest news the world has ever heard he's a living savior he's alive
1: Okay, first of all, <laughs> to hear Billy Graham's voice, yeah, you and I were joking before, like there comes a time when you're like, um, oh, that's why they were wonderful preachers.
2: Totally. Yes, we I had Beth Moore teach a class at Wheaton. And I was like, oh, that's why she's Beth Moore. Like, it's just a different game yes. that they're playing. And they're, I don't mean that they're not playing a game. I just mean like that level of.
1: Of, Craftsmanship. Yes. yes and, and
2: anointing. And yeah, he his hearing his inflections and his tone of voice and his obvious passion for the cross yes. and the resurrection, the empty tomb is it's moving. It moves all of us.
1: Yeah. And so what I love how he talked about, it, he kind of builds like, this is what the charges were against me. Billy Graham, there's a simplicity to him that I've always appreciated. But at the end, his inflection point of just he is risen. He is mm. not here. The yeah. tomb is empty. Victory is won. Uh, the first time you heard this, you started hooping and hollering like a, like a good like, Pentecostal I amen. here. <laughs> so, I'm there amen
2: in it. Yep. But great. he
1: called it, Aubrey, this is what we've been trying to focus people on. He called the Easter message. He said, this is the best news in mm-hmm. history. I, th- I could have his word wrong. But he said, this is the biggest, this is the best news. And I want to, I don't want to live in a world where I assume everyone who's listening right now is, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. Someone could just be tooling around, hit and seek, and they came with us on their ride home, right? Why is this the best news? Why are we making such a big deal about Easter?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was talking about this with my youngest son, Nolan, on the way to school yesterday. We make a big deal about Easter because one the empty tomb for those of us who are in Christ it impacts we believe our eternity mm. so like this life on earth is a you know blip on the screen we have eternity to look forward to in Christ secondly abundant life now freedom from the power of sin and shame now That doesn't mean we won't struggle. That doesn't mean we won't have trials. But what it does mean is that we have the presence of God with us, making us more like Christ and making us more than conquerors when we face hard things. And so it's for the Christian or for someone who's considering Jesus for the first time, this is the best news ever because it's actually life changing Mm. both now and forevermore.
1: Yes. Yes. It is the hinge upon which, um, Christianity, it was swings, right? Yeah. This is yeah. the inflection point. Uh, it was, uh, we at an elder meeting last night at our church, and we asked this question. I just kind of went around, like, "What? why is Easter such a big deal? Like, Aww. it was a very basic nice. question, but just why? And this is kind of where we landed again. Like, if that tomb is empty, <clears throat> then uh, he is Lord.
2: Amen. Victory yeah.
1: has been won. Yeah. If that tomb wasn't empty... Mm-hmm. Then, as the Apostle Paul says, we are to be pitied above all others. We are fools. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't have Christianity and not have the actual resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. And so then it becomes a question of, well, then why do you believe in, as we've been talking this week, right? Like, the Apostles died for it. Mm -hmm. They would have known whether it was a hoax or not, and they died. Right. Uh, for it, so to to circle back to somewhere we've been all week. How are you preparing for this week? How would we hope others are preparing for yeah, this week? Yeah, I mean,
2: I feel like I feel like having a daily radio show is really helpful because it I'm, really you know, preparing for it. You and I keep reflecting on it, and so I all that to say, even if you don't have a daily radio show, that, <laughs> da- <don't> you? <laughs> that like you know daily reflection for ten minutes a day just to read the scriptures. I mean, I'm reading in the Book of Luke right now where. Jesus is beginning just I just read Jesus's triumphal entry so Jesus is beginning to make his way to the cross um Get on you version and find a Holy Week, you know, Bible mm-hmm, study you can mm-hmm. do this week. Find a church service on Good Friday or Easter Sunday. Brian's church has services on Friday and Sunday. Friday That's at six,
1: four. Sunday nine and ten thirty at Four Corners Community Church.
2: And then my church, bring, bring Renewal Church. I don't know what's happening with me <laughs> today. Renewal Church uh, in West Chicago. We've got two services on Sunday morning. We'd love to invite you, but find a church locally where you can attend. And and uh, you know, then I think just pause to pray. Lord, mm-hmm. would you help this week? What it meant for your son Jesus? Um, would you help it to be real to me in a way that maybe mm, it hasn't been a long time? And God will show up in that.
1: That's really good. So it's Easter week. We're excited for it. I'll put in a little Billy Graham into there. Sprinkle yeah, in a little Billy a little Graham. Billy Graham,
2: and your day goes well. Wow.
1: We are ready to go, and we are going to share some really exciting news that Aubrey has from her own life in just a second. But before we do that, let me tell you about uh, some exciting things happening here at the station because. In these uncertain times, it can be really hard to live with certainty. In his book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, Dr. David Jeremiah provides a biblical roadmap to living in certainty. Uh, During the month of April, you can enter to win a copy of this book along with unshakable confidence cards. Uh, Unshakable confidence cards, these are 10 challenges to remind us to find confidence in our Heavenly Father and stay focused on Him. And one grand prize winner will win a signed leather bound Jeremiah study Bible. Everyone who enters will receive the April issue of Turning Points Devotional Magazine and an instant ebook download of the seven signs of Easter, evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's what you need to do enter today at 1160hope.com slash confidence. That's 1160hope.com slash confidence. And make sure to listen to Turning Point with David Jeremiah every weekday morning at 9.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160. All right, so we've got good news. People are winning Jeremiah study Bible. I mean, we got lots going on. They're winning books. They're doing this. Yes, uh, but you've got some exciting news, and I feel like we could talk about this yeah. because you shared it on social uh-huh. media. Uh, you're, you and Kevin are expecting a fourth shot. No, I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> Ab- no, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. not. No, people are texting right now. No, 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 Don't no. You've got to some. Ryan.
1: You've got some exciting professional news that I'd love for you to share.
2: Yeah, I've been kind of keeping this a secret for uh, several months now, actually, but I was finally able to make it public this week that I am writing a children's book and so it'll come out next year and um, then I actually have another like trade book for my typical reader my adult readers uh, the year after that so it's very fun news in the Samson household. The best part, I put this posted online. My kids really wanted me to do a book series about a kid named Billy who goes through hard times, and they wanted things How's Billy like, doing yeah, today? they wanted me <laughs> like, Billy tries drugs, it's really bad. <laughs> Billy's parents die. Billy gets hit by a bus. Like they had all these. The book is, I'm not allowed to say what the book is yet, but it is not about Billy. I'll just make that very, very clear. But it is in line with the other things I've written, and I'm very, very excited for it. And I'll tell you the genesis of the book. I'm
1: interested. I want to hear everything. Yeah,
2: so I'll tell you what I'm allowed to say. So um, there was a family in my church uh, last year who went through, uh, you, you know, just devastating loss of a child. And they were looking for some resources for how to help their kids, their own kids, siblings, like process the pain and emotion Mm -hmm. of that. So I actually called up my publisher and I was like, Hey, are there, you know, are there any books on this? And she was like, there's not really books in this topic. What do you think about writing one? So from there, this idea was born, which I can tell you more about the idea later. But that's sort of the genesis of it. So it'll give you an idea of what later, the book's like about.
1: another day, yeah, another you day, another day. Yeah, I look forward yeah. to reading Billy and His Friend's Funeral <laughs> <laughs> coming by Aubrey's <laughs> book one in a series of Billy books. So so let me uh, let me uh, probe a little bit more here yeah. because I've never heard you say I want to write a uh-huh. kids book. How is that going to be different? Maybe you're not sure right yeah, now no, I do know how is that different and then I have a follow-up question okay. but how so did you want to write a kid's book I, you were just show, shared with us how it came about uh-huh. but th- are, have you always been like well it'd be kind of fun but just what are you expecting in the process of how different this will be yeah
2: so no it's never been in my like uh purview that I will one day write a kid's book but I think most authors in the back of their mind think like gosh well, it should be fun to write a kid's book one yeah. day especially if you're a parent and I actually have a collection of kids books that I've had since you know my kids were little, even I was mm-hmm. little. That I love. Some kids books are treasured, you Good know. Night, moon. And yes, Goodnight Moon is a great example. Good night to the old lady. <laughs> it's I was like, a little creepy, this yeah. a crazy old lady <laughs> in the rocking chair. But you know, and you think about like these are the moments when. You know, moms or dads have their kids like grandparents, have their kids nestled up in their laps and you're reading a little board book together. And what a precious moment that is. And so to be able to contribute to that feels very, very exciting to me. It's almost like it's almost like a dream I didn't know I had come true, if that makes sense. You know why it's really different? Because the book is basically already written, Brian, and like they're much shorter. I don't want to say it's easier because you're having to do a totally different thing. There's an arc of a kid's book that's really different. You want to make sure it makes sense to little kids and and not to grownups, but it's helpful for parents too. And so that, that is kind of a different line to walk. But like my, my trade books that I write will sometimes take a year of just research and writing and editing and and like a kid's book. I mean, it's beautiful because you kind of write it there. It will be some editing, but like then it's done. You know what I mean? But then this is the fun part. I am not an illustrator. This is my next question. My next question is
1: every kid's book is more picture than it is words. Absolutely. So what will the process be? Yes,
2: I'm actually very, very excited about that. I'll I'll take you behind the scenes a little bit of children's publishing. So uh, Tyndale House is going to gather, I think it's four illustrators. They're going to narrow it down to probably two from that point point. And then that'll be alongside my my publisher, Nav Press. So I work with Nav Press, but they have a marriage with Tyndale, so you kind of get the best of both worlds. And then they'll bring those illustrators to me, like whoever makes the final cut and then I'll get to decide, which feels like a lot of pressure and really scary. But also, I'm so excited to see what the illustrations are going to look like because, of course, that brings a yeah. kid's book to life. That's a whole book, you know.
1: And what is promotion like for a kid's book? Because when you wrote Known or whatever, Mm -hmm. you go on the radio show or you go do a book signing or you speak – like are you like I'm picturing the end of Elf when Elf is sitting in the kids in the library and the all the kids, kids are like, <laughs> and then he went through the Lincoln Tunnel, right? And they're all oh, yeah. like, "What? What is promotional? What does that look promotion like?"
2: Promotion will be somewhat similar. Like I'll have a book launch team, probably do a little bit more of like children's pastors around the country that I'm connected with, and definitely do radio shows and things like that. So it'll look, I think, pretty similar, but it'll have some fun. Maybe I need to go to like a theme park and take pictures of myself with it's the. Not book, <laughs> (laughs) Um, You know, uh, so it'll be fun. My kids probably will get to be part of it more than they have been. But it's for little guys. It's like for like three to five year olds. So it's a it's a little like a little board. Could
1: be your niche. that's fun. I know. Is that fun? Uh, One more thing. This is fun. I'm getting an interview. Uh, so you said the year after that, you have another book coming out. Did you pitch them or do they pitch you at this point? Like, how does that work? It feels a long way away.
2: Yeah, I know. Isn't that wild how long away that is? Although it's due next year. That's how crazy the book publishing world is. Uh, When I wrote my last book, Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything, available now on (laughs) Amazon.com or wherever you get your books.
1: You know how to play the game.
2: Um, At that point, they invited me to sign a two-book contract, meaning that I was... Uh, That one, I pitched to them. They said yes, but we also would love to invite you to write another book. So at that point, I knew I'd be writing another book. I just wasn't sure when, but now all the things are set in stone. So 2023 for the kids' book, 2024 for the next trade book.
1: And did you know what you want that one to be? Or is there just a nebulous, (laughs) there's there's an open, there's a book coming, but metaphorically and literally, it is just a blank pages right now.
2: As of... Three months ago, I now know what I want it to be, but when I signed it, it was definitely like, whatever the Holy Spirit does, that's what that book will be.
1: You should do a kid's book about Billy, and then the adult (laughs) version is William. (laughs) 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 William goes to a funeral, (laughs) Billy goes to... (laughs) Yeah, that could be. Your Maybe, thing. And
2: then there's some like combo book, like like metaverse where they meet each other in real time, and it's like William and Billy. Every, everyone, everyone,
1: everyone. Hello, William. Hello, Billy. And then just goes on to the next book. Well, we're excited for you, Thanks, and Brian. hopefully, we still have a show at that time, and we can yeah, it'll be fun. talk these things through. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Everybody be watching for the news as those start coming out. I'm glad to have you with us. On this rainy, a dreary Wednesday afternoon, but at least it's warm. That's
2: true. It's like it's like muggy in my house today. Yeah, so yes, chi- I, I'm with you.
1: Chi- spring it's weather warm. in Chicago is just dumb. Can we just call it dumb. <laughs> Like, I feel like the weather person, like Tom Skilling or someone, should get up for the seven day forecast and point and be like, dumb, dumb, dumb. dumb a little less attention dumb. To... Uh, a yeah. chance of dumb. Like, yeah. it's always, whenever it's warm, it's raining. Whenever it's cold, it's clear. Like, it just is crazy. And then all of a sudden, it'll be 90 degrees, and we're all like, oh, wonderful spring. Oh, okay. Spring.
2: Yeah. We love Chicago now. <sighs>
1: just dumb. craziness. You're, you're right.
2: You're right. You just named that really well. Thank
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a weatherman. Dumb. dumb. 50% chance of dumb. Uh, anyway, we're glad you're with us today. Hopefully the weather will be nice for Easter this weekend as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And Aubrey. Uh, you and I talk a lot about what's going on in, quote-unquote, the church, the big C church, right? and having to wrestle with the hypocrisy of people. And that's a lot of times what you hear people bailing on the faith, if you will, going, well, everyone in the church was hypocrites, or the church let me down, or whatever else it might be. Uh, There's a pastor down outside of Dallas, Texas, Matt Chandler. Many of you have probably listened to him before. It's one of the pastors I love to listen to. Matt Chandler, uh, in a recent sermon, was talking about this phenomenon, and I would say he takes it a bit of an interesting direction. Let's listen to that real fast.
4: I want to acknowledge church hurt and betrayal is a real thing, but that is the most self-righteous pronouncement I think a person can say. Are you serious? Like Like the disciples don't bail on Jesus because of Judas. They got their eyes on Jesus. They're they're blown away by Jesus. They're not looking around going, oh man, all these people were following him. And man, look at that. They're inconsistent. You're inconsistent. I'm inconsistent. This is the only community there is that celebrates the fact that we're all in process. Like nobody's there yet. Like to demand that you get grace and nobody else does is self-righteousness. And to punt on Jesus because some Christian, you know, isn't up to your standards is a dangerous place to stand before a living God.
2: Man, I mean, I wow, that is like a mic drop. And it Matt feels Chandler. prophetic,
1: as you said. Like... I,
2: yes, I was saying to you off air that I, I am always um, impressed. I, I don't know if that's even the right response, but I am. I'm impressed with people who are able to sort of put their finger on an issue in the church, step outside of it mm-hmm. enough to speak very honestly about it. it. That to me feels like a prophetic gift. And this feels like a prophetic word. Like yes, there are so many people leaving their faith because of church hurt. And he's right. I mean, I'm glad he starts out by saying church hurt is real. Like there's, you can get therapy for that. You can find a new church for that, but he's exactly right. But We have to look to Jesus. Like, how dare we turn our backs on Jesus when He has not turned our backs on us? Because we've been hurt by the church. I, I, you know, and I understand that the church represents Jesus to people, but yeah, he. I mean, he's been speaking out pretty strongly about apostasy and uh, deconstructionists, and I, I think we need to take hit. We need to take his words as seriously as we're taking those who are leaving.
1: I think there are a lot of pastors right now, and Chandler being one of them, who is frustrated by the painting with a broad brush of all pastors are this, all churches are this. But what do you think about him calling it? He starts by saying there's church hurt. It is real. But essentially, he says when we just kind of point it out and point out other people's failings Mm -hmm. that that's the height of self-righteousness because he basically I mean I I wasn't expecting him to go there but I think he's right that when we go you failed and you failed and you failed it really is kind of a pharisaical self-righteous posture
2: yeah I that's not again this is where I think he's he's really on to something because I've never thought about it that way but that's really true like we go it, it, we go, well, that person failed or that person is too close-minded, that person is too whatever, and therefore I'm not going to be a part of the church anymore. Mm. But we're not, I mean, it's, you know, it's Jesus's old teaching, right? Like we're not looking at the log in our own eye. Where have we failed? Where where has God been gracious to us? And why can't we extend that grace to other people? And it is interesting to think about it as self-righteousness and pride, mm rather than where I think it's often um, thought of as is more like I'm wounded and I'm Mm, hurt, but he's actually saying, no, 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 no. You're not humbling yourself. Instead, this is self-righteous pride. There's something to that, Brian. What do you think? I mean, obviously you brought it to us to listen to. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I think he's right because Mm. if I'm, it's to simplify it, it's that posture that says, well, the church is, is a bunch of failures. What you're implying is I'm not a failure. And, But because of all the failures around me, I'm done here. There must be something wrong as opposed to saying, but by the grace of God, go I, I am a failure. I I love this line. He says, the disciples don't bail on Jesus because of Judas. They have their eyes on Jesus. They're blown away by Jesus. They're not looking around going, Oh man, all these people were following him and look at it. They're inconsistent. And then he goes on to say, you're inconsistent. I'm inconsistent. This is the only community there is that celebrates the fact that we're all in process. Wow. And I think when we lose sight of that, then self-righteousness seeps in and goes, oh, yeah. the church yeah. isn't every. Of course, the church isn't everything it says it is right. because it's made up of people. It's the old idea. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're not going to find one. Yeah. And if you do, you're going to ruin it when yeah. you go join it. <laughs> uh, so there is. But, Aubrey, there is this fine line here because you still want to call out inconsistencies. You still want to be better. You want the church to be better. But we want to be a collection of people, not just who show grace to one another, but who are ultimately pointing each other to the grace of Jesus. He's the one we're celebrating, not the pastor or the congregation. We're celebrating that he's the perfect one.
2: And I think I've told you this before. We've talked about this before. I am always much more willing to... Listen to, respect, consider people who are quote unquote deconstructing or criticizing mm-hmm. if they remain committed to a church body. Once you sort of just say, I'm done, I'm throwing my hands up, I'm then I, I don't know what it is. It may, this may even be my own pride, but I tend to go, okay, well then if you've given up on the whole thing, that makes me so sad, and I'm so sorry for you. But then I don't have a I, I don't have a lot of room to hear your criticism. Mm. If you're there because you believe like the local church is the hope of the world, you believe this is still God's expression of His glory and a foretaste of heaven, but you see a lot of problems with it. But you're willing to stay and help make things different. Mm. Then I'm here with you. Right. I don't know if that makes sense, totally Brian, but I so. I don't know what the point I'm even trying to make, but just, yes, yes, Matt Chandler, yes. <laughs> we didn't listen to
1: this part of what Chandler had to say, but uh, he he goes on, you, you, you said there's something going on in his soul that's frustrated right yeah, now, Yeah, you right? can
2: tell. He, he keeps talking about this. Let
1: me read it to you. He says, later on in this sermon, he says, I'm not talking about toxic abusive, wickedness. There is something like that that needs to be exposed and people need to be removed and people uh, but he says, I mean, I've been president of Acts 29 for over a decade. It's like 700 people, 700 guys. He says they then he goes on to say they love Jesus and they're doing the best they can. They're not in this for money or power, just trying to love God's people and the sheep bite. But we don't we don't talk about that, that the sheep mm-hmm. bite. They're all just, you know, abused by power hungry people. It's wow. ridiculous. So he's not saying there aren't power hungry pastors. Yeah. There's not to ab- But he's saying we've got to stop saying all pastors are in it for money. All churches are dirty. He's like the vast, and you and I have been saying this for weeks, the vast, 99% of the pastors I know are in it for the right reason, and the churches are trying to do the right thing, and we can really lose that. So, really, really strong words. The disciples didn't bail on Jesus because of Judas, uh, I think is a great word. All right, Aubrey, a little thing we used to do here called Jerker Justified, and we haven't done it in a while, but here's what it is. I present you with a situation uh to a way that i reacted or something that i did or something somebody did and you get to decide whether they are justified in their action or whether they are a jerk this is
2: fun we haven't done this in a long
1: time and i have to be honest with you this one's a little different than the way we used to do it okay
3: okay Okay. i'm ready Uh, so
1: i'm gonna paint a picture because this also involves you are you ready?
2: I don't know. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here so we go. So you
1: and I, we we do this show in our in our cozy studio here at uh, AM eleven sixty, yes. and we're up here in Elk Grove. So you and I both live, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes away, whatever. Yeah. Uh, come driving up, and and I am almost to the studio, and I get a really nice text from you, uh, and oh. as does our producer. I am going to Starbucks. Do you guys want anything? Okay. And in that moment, I am holding a Dunkin' Donuts. Right. But I never texted you and said, "Hey, I'm going to Dunkin Donuts would you like something
2: uh listeners he's never once texted me
1: so what, about a drink
2: <laughs> <laughs> so fair fair about a drink
1: so i I felt uh I felt uh that so there was part of me that was like <laughs> I'm a jerk like I'm a jerk yeah, I did not say yeah. but then also you know yeah I was justified in that. <laughs> i just wanted okay. a drink and i was trying to get to the studio i am asking you to pronounce whether i was a jerk or justified in how i treated you <laughs> wait can on I, the way up here
2: can i tell you something so funny about this yes i'm about to text you and keith that i'm going through starbucks literally i had a moment where i said you know what brian goes to Dunkin' Donuts every day <laughs> and he never asked me if i would drink i'm not gonna ask him and then i thought to myself just because Brian's bad example <laughs> happens regularly, you don't have to stoop to Brian's low level. I'm guilty. You I'm guilty. are going to go ahead and ask. I literally thought that, Brian, so I think you're
1: a jerk. I did once text you from Starbucks going, do you want something? Oh,
2: thank you. Okay. That was
1: one time okay. in our now year I together. I don't
2: like uh, Dunkin' Donuts. So I would probably say no, just to set your heart Which at I rest. I did know. I would set your heart at yeah, rest. But say no.
1: I am not sure I would have texted you if I had been in the Starbucks line across the parking lot. <laughs>
2: that's cruel. So,
1: so are you declaring I was a jerk towards you
2: declaring it officially? Yeah. And, and that I'm better than
1: you. Here's the, well. okay. Let's not not get beyond ourselves here. (laughs) The painful part of this conversation is in that moment, I declared myself a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wish people could see I'm reading your text while holding my Dunkin' Donuts I, in glad, my hand. I'm
2: glad we can have this honesty between what, us, Brian. How
1: jerky would it have been if I wrote you back and said, I want a nice tea. Could you get me one? you walked in? I was holding this. I was like, I just wanted an extra. I just wanted I wanted one for the ride home. <laughs> or if I text you, actually, can I just get a gift card for later? <laughs> oh, All right. Man, I think good. it's fair. I th- I think the declaration of jerk of, of yeah. I think yeah. it's fair. Yeah. Now yeah. the question is, will it change any of my I actions know. going forward?
2: Right. And will I ask or not ask next time? We'll see. We'll you see will. how the spirit I mean, leads. <laughs>
1: But here's the the takeaway for me is also this. I just need to go through Dunkin' Donuts because I know you're going to say I no. I will
2: always say no. But
1: I will get the, the, yeah. I will get the credit for the, yeah, yeah, for the so ask. Yeah, so you can
2: feel good about asking and feel good that, like, you'll right. actually – the onus will not be on you for anything. So I'm anything. not going to
1: spend the money on you, but I'm going to get <laughs> – this is – Okay. Uh, this is like what my wife says when I was like, especially earlier marriage, like I was going to stop and get you flowers, but I ran out of time and she goes, it doesn't count then. <laughs> it doesn't
2: count. It doesn't count. <laughs> All
1: right. I want to talk about Twitter. It's good. It's good. Uh, where does Twitter rank for you? If we were to go mm. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, if those are our three yeah. main ones, where does Twitter rank for you? I think uh, I know it's, the answer. That's
2: yeah, third for me. I'm Instagram. I mean, Instagram is where I spend most of my time and have most of my relationships. I'd say Facebook next simply because I've been on it for so long as has most of the world. Twitter, I pop on once a day, but I two things about Twitter. I'm not great at speaking in like lightning rod sound bites and so I don't have a great Twitter personality. I'm aware of that for myself, but also I don't love the time it takes to cultivate relationships, I'd rather like exist in real life than online. But I like following people on Twitter that mm-hmm. are that are smart or funny or interesting. So I'm more of like a like I watch from afar on Twitter.
1: I think that's what I enjoy about Twitter. Okay. I would actually say Twitter is probably number one for me. Yeah, but you I, are, ne-
2: you like Twitter, don't you?
1: But I never tweet.
2: Like, oh, okay okay in
1: reality you tweet more than I do
2: yeah you never tweet That's never true.
1: I I use Twitter as kind of a uh, a Lurk. news gathering Lurk on I do Twitter yeah uh, whereas it really bothers me when people treat Facebook that way because Facebook's more personal right like yeah um, okay uh, Elon Musk he is he is on a mission to change Twitter right okay. he he bought up a ton of stock the other day That's if you've right. been following That's so right. he is now I believe the primary stockholder for Twitter. Crazy. And he's going there like there now because of him, there's going to be an edit button, which doesn't I don't understand why that's such a big deal. But
2: I have wanted an edit, edit button on Twitter for like seven years. Everybody has. Good job, Elon.
1: But he asked this the other day. Most of these, quote, top accounts tweet rarely and post very little content. Therefore, is Twitter dying? That's what he asked on twitter okay so he lists the top 10 most followed twitter accounts and his point being a lot of them haven't tweeted in months okay and he says this is a bad thing i you have not looked at this list correct
2: i have not looked at it because you told me not to
1: i want you to try to guess as many from the top 10 <laughs> ah. you know how twitter functions yes and it, it yeah I, you, there's no way active you can get the, users
2: now so like i'm not gonna say trump you can't say trump because he's, he's, he's been gone. kicked off okay Okay, so I'm going to go with. uh, I I know a couple of these. Uh, I'm going to go with Barack Obama.
1: He is number one at 131.4 million followers.
2: I'm going to go with uh, The Beebs.
1: The Beebs is number two at 114.3 million followers.
2: Is The Beebs' old girlfriend, Selena Gomez, on there? She
1: is not. Okay,
2: is Beyonce on there?
1: She is not. You are in the right world, though.
2: Okay, uh, Lady Gaga.
1: Is number seven. Okay. yeah Yes. That at eighty four point five million. Okay,
2: that makes sense. Okay. Oh, uh, what about like an Anderson Cooper? Nope nope. 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 Okay. What about a uh like no uh, Lester Holt?
1: No, you're you're off. You're I'm off. off. O- I need to be thinking like pop culture. Yes. Oh,
2: okay, okay. Stephen Colbert.
1: No, no, more entertaining. More, okay. more just straight uh, go back to where you were before. Billy Eilish. No. No. Um
2: okay, okay. Don't, I can't give up yet. Um I'm
1: going to tell you that there are still 3 female recording okay. artists still Taylor to Swift. go. Taylor Swift. Taylor yeah. Swift is 6. Yeah, of course.
2: Um uh not Beyoncé, not uh you we went for Lady Gaga. Man, I'm racking right, my I'm brain here. You, okay. I'm going to tell you. By the
1: way, it but, felt a little self-serving Elon Musk is number 8 oh, on the list. Oh,
2: yeah. Okay, okay.
1: Number three is Katy Perry. Oh, sure. Okay. Number four is Rihanna.
2: I almost said Rihanna, but then I second guessed myself. I should have gone with that.
1: Number five is uh, soccer player Cristiano Ronaldo. Never would have guessed that. Uh, number 10 is Ellen, The Ellen Show. Oh, okay. And number nine, Naren Dramati. Does that sound, does that ring a bell? I'm nope. going to look that one up while we do nope. this. Uh, but the point being, his point being, like some of these people have not. Uh, oh, the, he's the prime minister of India. There you go. Wow. Uh, a lot of these people have not tweeted in months. Okay. And he said, this is a really bad thing for Twitter. So let me ask you just a big picture question. Uh, that was a fun little game. So you try to yeah, guess them. It's fun. like the I family like feud. I like that. Uh, how can Twitter... Be a uh, an agent of good and change. If Elon mm. Musk is like, if he asked you the question, what, what can we do at Twitter so that it is a positive thing going forward? Anything come to mind for you or social media in general?
2: Yeah, I mean, I actually don't know that I think it's a bad thing that these accounts are tweeting barely. Because mm. to me, that says like, oh, good. They're living in the actual world now. <laughs> you know, they're not getting in stupid fights over Twitter and spending all of their hours on Twitter. So, I, you know, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I'm like, yes, this is actually what needs to happen. Everyone needs to leave Twitter and go back to their real lives. (laughs) But if we're taking Twitter at face value, what could, like, contribute to the common good? I tend to think that actually the Taylor Swifts and the Barack Obamas and the Justin Biebers of the world, and I'm sure they do this, but can lift up voices that are typically unknown, mm, but, but people of integrity worth following, mm. right? Or um, local business owners, like in their communities, especially minority business owners. And then I would even say like an issue they're passionate about, like let's do some fundraising, some crowdsourcing, that kind of thing To Cause I mean, you've got Taylor Swift has 90.3 million followers. Barack Obama has 131. Justin Bieber has 114 million you know, they raise awareness to fight human trafficking or, uh, you know, AIDS in Africa. Like, mm. that's going to make a difference. Yeah. Like, they have influence. And I, again, they these people are doing those things. Sure. But more of that, they could all uh, recommend Aubrey Samson's book, <laughs> Known, sell <so laughs> millions the of copies more than a children's book. I'd be fine with that.
1: So using their platforms, I think, is what you're saying. How can they use these enormous global worldwide platforms to raise awareness for things uh, beyond their own brand. I think that's helpful. So yeah, if you're what out do you there,
2: what do you think?
1: I think you're right. I think how can um, these people, instead of just trying to sell their own stuff yeah. or do this or just let it lie dormant, if you go, hey, I have a hundred plus million people who follow me. How can you use that for mm-hmm. good uh, instead of self-promotion? And yeah. you could use it for some of that. But yeah. uh, could you imagine just having a hundred plus million followers knowing if I type this? No, the, so many people pressure, are going to see
2: that. I, I, you, it makes me actually want to like pray for those people because the pressure of that kind That's of right. influence is wild.
1: That's right. Well, thought that was a fun and interesting list.
2: I don't want to forget to point out one thing for you that we've been mentioning really throughout March and now here a little bit into April. But We've been partnering with an incredible ministry called SOS International, which is an organization that is on the ground in countries around the world, rescuing and rehabilitating children and women who are who are really trapped in horrific Mm -hmm. situations of human trafficking. And we are so close to meeting our target goal. And so we would love to invite you today in honor of Holy Week, in honor of Easter to go to 1160hope.com and click on that SOS International banner be the hands and feet of Jesus today to kids and to women around the world. And Brian, speaking of, you know, devastating situations like human trafficking, you know, this morning was one of those mornings Brian where I opened up my news app and it was just like yeah. every headline, you, you know, you've got the the shooting at the in the subway of New York City yesterday these police shooting tapes that are coming out later today from Grand Rapids this WNBA basketball player who's being detained in Russia Biden calling uh, you know finally naming what's happening in Ukraine genocide i mean there's just devastating devastating news in the world right now and in some places it seems like covid is going back mm. up i you know and Brian you and i st- pause often to do this but i think it's worth doing especially in light of holy week especially as we think about jesus's own suffering when the news is as heavy as it is how do we have the right posture and perspective Mm. before god
1: it's a really good question you know when i was watching the news yesterday particularly around that shooting in brooklyn on the subway which miraculously and thankfully nobody died
2: yes praise god for that
1: I tried to, there was a moment where I was watching that going, the the immense fear that had to have been felt being in an enclosed place like a subway Mm-mm. and there's smoke and there's, yeah. the 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 fear that that must have put into, that changes you for the rest of your life. Like, yeah. I can't imagine when you see those people running. And, and so it raises a great question, Aubrey. What do we as Christians do? How do we both for our own lives, but also for how do we speak to others about what we see going on mm. around us? I think it's a really valid question. And here's the interesting thing. There's the answer to the question is Easter.
2: Amen. The answer wow. to the question
1: yeah, is what we are. This is not just some holiday that we is on the calendar. No, oh, it's Easter. No, no. The answer to all the suffering in the world, these kind of big sufferings that mm-hmm. you were talking about, Ukraine and police shooting and subway shooting, whatever else, but also individual suffering uh, uh cancer diagnosis yeah. uh loss of a child, whatever else it might be the answer to that question is Easter that that our Lord and Savior came and and he died and he rose again and in the book of first Corinthians Paul says. When he did that, sin and death were defeated. Like, yes. there is victory. Yes. And, and we often talk about that victory just being like a personal victory. Like, oh, no, I get to go to heaven, which is part of it. But but ultimately, what it, the victory is, is that those are no longer ultimate. Mm. Death doesn't win. Amen. Like That's the message Amen. of Easter. Death doesn't win. And we're you and I talked about this yesterday. Right now, that caught kind of already not yet. It feels like the Saturday of Easter week is what we live in perpetually. Yeah, uh, We know that the victory has been won, but it is yet to be fully realized. Mm. So we still have to live in the midst of all of these struggles. But yeah. I do think we can point one another to a day when we don't have to worry about subway shootings or genocide yeah. or whatever yeah. else, and that in the midst of it, Jesus promises, I will be with you always. That's what he says to his disciples. So I think the... I don't I I hopefully it doesn't sound flippant and instead is the correct answer. The answer is Easter. The answer is that the tomb is empty. That is where our hope uh, lies securely, because if you put your hope in like the goodness of man or whatever. Yeah. We know human history says uh, humanity is bad to itself. It is. Right. uh, It it is. It is. It is regressing, not progressing. Right. And so if you're if you're like, oh, if we could if humanity was just better, if we were just nicer to each other, it's not going to happen going to happen. And so the the answer to your question is we we hold on to the empty tomb and all that it means. Oh,
2: it's so good, Brian. You're ready to preach your Sunday sermon. Somebody write I that feel down. It. <laughs> <laughs> Over at uh, churchleaders.com. I was just looking this up. J.D. Greer, who we've talked about on the show before, he actually wrote an article on suffering. It's an old, older article, but he's actually uh, talking about how we talk to our kids about suffering. Mm. And here's what he says. If we don't teach our kids to expect suffering in life, then we set them up for a crisis of faith. You can teach them that if they do their part, everything will go smoothly. But when something inevitably goes wrong in their lives, they get denied the job, they get taken advantage of their marriage falls apart. Or like we've been talking about, there's horrors in the world. They will think, but I did everything right. God, Mm. what's wrong with you? Are you even there? They need to understand that moment. And I would say we need to understand in these moments because you have believed it in your own life and taught them the same, that they were called to this. Not only that, but they can have the presence of Jesus now Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the promise of Jesus's work or the future in suffering with Christ. We have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. So I, Brian, I think you're exactly right. Like Easter is the answer to the pain and the suffering and the sorrow of the world. And, you know, I think what, what, What do we do in the meantime? This is where the, you know, the spiritual practice of lament becomes so, so important for us that we, um, we weep with those who weep, that we cry out to God for a new day, a better story that we, you know, don't, don't escape, don't ignore, don't pretend like the pain and the suffering isn't happening, but we join with the church around the world and we get on our knees and we pray and we ask for God's presence to be there. This is something you and I talked about yesterday that we it can be easy in light of so much sorrow and so much heavy news to just like numb yourself. That's right. And in one sense, that's a, that's a defense mechanism to keep you sane. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that tendency. I have that tendency, but you know, in those moments, I think where we're tempted to turn off the news or, or turn down the volume or whatever, that's okay. Do that if you need some space, but then also maybe just take a minute to pray, maybe take a minute to reach out to a friend who's hurting. Um, you know, don't in taking some space from the suffering of the world, don't turn a blind eye to it, mm. but instead continue to ask that God would show up. And But but he, as Brian's saying, may we all keep our eyes on that empty tomb because Jesus's resurrection and Jesus's one day return means that one day all of this suffering, all of the sorrow will not be in vain mm-hmm. and will end.
1: Absolutely. And if you're, if, if, if waters are calm right now in your life, I would say praise God for that. Yep. Like, you don't need to feel guilty about that, but know that the Bible says in this world, you will have suffering. Like, it's coming both on a, on a global level, but also on an individual level. And so don't, I think the other thing, Aubrey, that we could get in trouble with is to kind of get into a, a, a sense of comfortableness or a malaise that says, Oh, everything's fine. Right. No, no, the answer to you for your life is still the empty tomb, like the hope that we have in Jesus. And so, yeah, we can, I think another answer to your question about all, what do we do when we see everything going on around us? I think it drives us to prayer. We got to be praying, uh, and it gets us into the word and it gets us ready to celebrate Easter Sunday. Yes. Uh, because that, uh, transcends all of these things.
2: Yeah. Good word for all of us. Brian and I have been talking all about Holy Week this week, what we like to call the Super Bowl for pastors. One of the things um, that Brian and I have been talking about also over the past few weeks is something that we're calling All Ministry Matters, which is essentially I, I've i decided I'm Brian's life coach, mm-hmm. and I think there's a calling on his life to really minister and encourage The pastors of the world, the ministry leaders of the world, the, you know, faithful Christians of the world that are serving in either smaller churches, smaller ministries, don't have the platform and prestige of maybe the Stephen Furtick's of the world, but are faithfully serving where God has them. And uh, Brian is passionate about encouraging those folks. And so I just keep kind of turning the mic over to him in what we're calling All Ministry Matters. And I think, Brian, in light of Easter Sunday... Big Super Bowl. What words of encouragement do you have for the small church pastor, ministry leader, etc.?
1: Yeah. Can I tell you this? I read this the other day. Do you know what the median sized church currently is in the United States? I
2: actually don't know.
1: 65 people. No. So not the average, but the median. You know the yeah, difference. Yeah. The median sized church in the United States wow. is 65 people. So that's why I think this is an important conversation because
2: this is most churches in the world.
1: Yes. And then even in our country, it's yeah. the most it's most churches. And so we give all the oxygen to these enormous churches and then realize that I told you the other day, however, they define megachurch in this one survey that it was point two percent of the churches yeah. uh, nationally are megachurch. The vast, vast, vast majority of pastors out there are pastoring in churches under 200, around 100 people. Yeah. Uh, But they don't think that. Mm. They think everybody's got this fast growing blah blah. Because you go to the conference, you you and I've talked about this. You go to the conference and everything's fast growing. Everything's multi this and and that's fine. I'm all for yeah, that's awesome. But then you realize uh, for every one of those, there's scores of ones that aren't like that of pastors who are just faithfully plodding along. Yeah, Uh, they are. um, They are. Counting growth, not in the hundreds and the thousands, but in the ones and the tens. Exactly. And, and can
2: I say one thing yes. before? This is your this is your moment. Nope, nope, I nope. say this is to us. What the problem is, then it can tend to feel like unless you're producing those massive right. sized churches, ministries, then God isn't blessing you or you're not doing something meaningful. And like we're here to say a different.
1: Thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so let me talk about Easter for okay. a second. Uh, when you combine Easter with social media, mm. the uh, the pastor of a smaller church that I've just been describing, in in a weirdly sad way, Easter can be a really discouraging day.
2: Wow, Brian!
1: Not because of what happens in your own church, mm. but then you go home and open up Facebook or Twitter or yeah. this, and Mr. Big Church Pastor, which is great, yeah. is is like. Hey, we baptized 300 people mm. during our Easter service yeah, today. Yeah. And you're like, I didn't even have 300 people in my church. Like, how is that? By- or we had 500 first time commitments to Jesus. And you're yeah. like, Excuse me. Or we had 100 visitors. Mm. These numbers. And I wow, understand people Brian. are like, don't be number driven, but put yourself in the shoes of that person yeah. reading that going, man, I was. I remember this happened to me years ago. I came home and I was so fired up about Easter. It was so fun. Our church, it was wonderful. And then I went on Twitter and I had that exact experience of going, huh, maybe my service didn't matter as much as I thought, or maybe it wasn't because you just get inundated. Or here's the other one, Aubrey, in the lead up to Easter right now. So today is Wednesday. Yep. If you go on Facebook, you're going to be inundated by sponsored posts of people who are going to have the greatest and the biggest and the we're renting this yep. place out or okay. we're having an Easter egg hunt where we're dropping them from helicopters and <laughs> I'm going to preach in an Easter bunny outfit. And you're like,
2: and like the branding is impeccable and incredible. It's, yeah,
1: it's overwhelming mm, and you're like
2: that's real Brian oh and
1: I kind of feel like people the bigger churches in my town are trying to recruit my people to come to their church and wow. so Easter can be a very complicated time wow. for the pastor so, I'm so glad you just
2: named that isn't that's it true? Very, don't you feel that way yes that's very real and I think a lot of pastors would not even necessarily want to say it mm-hmm. because like we're so you're we're all for the kingdom we're all celebratory and like while that may be true that doesn't deny that there are parts of us that go, hmm, this feels complicated and yeah. difficult. Yeah, so I'm just glad you named that. But go ahead. Where's the encouragement in the midst the pastor who's in the midst of that? Yeah, let me that. give
1: that encouragement. But first I would I would challenge some of the bigger church pastors, but also the smaller church pastors. You're gonna have more people in your church than than most any other day of the yeah. of the year. Yeah. We get it. I'm not sure you need to celebrate the numbers mm-hmm. as publicly I would just ask you why are you doing it? Good. And if there's good reason, then go for it. But good, Brian, um, we all do it. And uh, so here's what I would say to the pastor out there: um, I would say you know your church. Yeah. Celebrate what happens in your church, and then maybe don't even go on social media the rest of the day.
2: Wow. Celebrate,
1: celebrate what goes on in your church. Uh, prepare, prep a great sermon. Yeah. Proclaim Jesus. Yeah. Uh, if you're a worship guy or girl, if you're a worship pastor, uh, practice and, and choose God-honoring songs. Yeah. Like, it, you don't need... I remember being in a church years ago where Easter was so over the top. It was like everything was turned loud, and it was just different than anything else that happened the other 51 weeks ago. year.
2: Interesting. Like, it almost felt like a different church.
1: Yeah. And I would encourage the pastors out there, be really aware of the visitors, but but... Hone in on your church family. Wow! Like it's not like for fifty weeks of the year we we are about our church, but on Easter it's all about who else is out there. Like, yes, be very aware of the visitors. Talk, you know, assimilate well, love on people well, but don't blow past the people in your church because it's the Super Bowl or it's Easter. Um, don't ride. You, you and I talk about this all the time, Aubrey. Don't ride the high highs and the low lows. Here is what else we know. Next week. You're gonna have less people in your church.
2: Period. Yes, that's in exactly fact, right. Do you
1: know what? Do you know what? Um, do you know what statistics actually say? The week after Easter, at the vast majority of churches, is lower in attendance than the week or two before Easter. No, because way. people have come to church. People don't They've go every checked week.
2: It off their box. They're so fine. So now I'll be back yeah. in
0: a couple of weeks.
1: We all go into Easter going, mm. oh, we just doubled the numbers, mm. and all of these people are coming back next week. Mm. They are not. Mm. in fact not all of your people are coming back next week (laughs) so So don't if you're gonna ride that high high of easter for the wrong reason Mm. you're in for a big crash yeah ride the high high that jesus was proclaimed you got to speak the gospel amen people's faith was grown prayers were given like ride that high instead of oh we had double the numbers because you know what you're gonna have half of that next week yeah that's in the week following so so how do you prep for easter
2: yeah i you know I don't I'm just even thinking about things that you just said and how it would be wise. (laughs) I'm going to make a confession here. I'm a Mm -hmm. little bit embarrassed about this, but you heard it. Our executive producer, Keith, heard it. For some reason on Instagram this week, I lost a few followers and I don't know (laughs) why. And it's not that it it is obsessing me. I'm not losing sleep over it. But I did notice it. And I noticed it enough to say it out loud to you guys. Hey, why am I losing? And so I just think with that kind of same mentality, when we go into our services on Easter, like it probably is a good idea to humble ourselves before the Lord and just be really honest. Like, oh, Lord, these numbers, these whatever. It matters more than it needs to. I've made it something important. And it's actually not compared to the resurrection. Would you just like. Would you tenderly be with me and help me to focus on the things that matter, celebrate the things that matter, not get lost in the weird games we play or the rat race we're in, but instead just be content and not even content, be blessed to serve you, proclaim your message. If one life is touched mm-hmm. by your Holy Spirit, Amen. Yes. then that's enough. There's a party yes. in the kingdom of heaven for that. Why not in my own soul, Lord, would you help me and be kind to me? So I think just even the recognition we can name that before God and trust that he's got grace for us and then just ask for like a new, a new perspective. Yeah. So I think that's a good and one more us. thing I would say, yeah. you know how
1: we talk about at weddings and stuff like it's just the start. It's not the end goal. Like, guess what? Church is going to meet next week, too. So like you're in yeah. this for the long haul. So have an awesome Easter. Go for it. Be energetic. Yeah. Wake up energized, but wake up energized for the right thing. And just don't ride that Easter roller coaster yeah, that so many good. of us pastors do.
2: Yeah, that's so good. All right. Well, that's another word from Brian from All Ministry Matters. Brian, you got a book. You got a podcast. A like, there's a future book. in this. I got a children's book <laughs> we're I'm going to do with this. We're going to make you a giant platform while we talk about Wait, not building our new platforms.
1: Book. <laughs> I got a new book ready. I'm going to do a children's book. It's gonna, You're going to have to listen to earlier in the show to know what I'm talking about uh the new children's book is billy is a discouraged pastor
2: (laughs) (laughs) i love it and it is the end of today's show and as always at the end of every show we love to bring you something that's inspiring or challenging or something to put a smile on your face and um brian somebody sent me this quote so this is not my quote it's a quote from another author i don't know who wrote it so i kind of hate to put it out there but i do just want to own like someone sent this to me and it it was a a quote about faith and doubt. Mm -hmm. And here's what it says. It's a little um, complicated, but I want us to unpack it and just see what we think. Here's what they say. The opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's certainty. Mm. Ultimately what they're saying is the opposite of faith is certainty. And I think that is both really powerful and could ruffle some feathers, you know? So, Okay, for the person who is doubting, Mm -hmm. what's helpful about this is that what this author is saying is, look, it's okay to doubt. That's actually not the opposite of faith or opposing your faith. That's part of faith. When you have absolute certainty, then it's no longer faith because faith does require just that, faith, Mm. right? Like you, you sort of are taking a dive into the mystery of what we believe, So I could see how that could be encouraging where it becomes discouraging is there are people out there who are like, look, I'm certain about Jesus. I'm certain about the gospel message. And so I actually think I want certainty. Uh, What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it will ruffle some feathers, but I do believe that we value certainty too much.
2: Mm, I think you're so right about that. Unpack that because you might have just ruffled some feathers saying that, Brian.
1: So I think there are things that we are to be certain about. Yeah. Um, We are to be certain uh, of who Jesus is yeah. this weekend. I can be certain that the tomb was empty. Yes, uh, but we like to ascribe certainty to everything. This is mm. I'm certain exactly how uh, the, the world was created. Yeah. Well, if I disagree with you and I go and read science books and this and that, and it looks like you're wrong. And I disagree with you, but you say this is a hill to die on certainty. Mm. Now my faith is rocked Yes, over something that I don't think we are meant to have certainty yep. about. I am meant to have certainty that God created, but how he created, I I think that's open for debate. Yep. Take the other end of the spectrum, how the world, how the, how the end times is going to work, right? I'm, I am certain that Jesus is returning when, how, I don't know, right. but so many people spend so much time and say, this is exactly how, and if you disagree with me, then you must not be a Christ. No, mm. that's not how this works. There are things that we are to be certain about, and let's be honest, Aubrey, the biblical definition of faith, I might get it a little wrong here, but it's it, it's uh, things that are unseen. Right. Right, like right. To be able to say that I have certainty at all times exactly about how the God of the universe yeah. uh, functions and... Ex- that would be that's the uh, that's the pinnacle of just arrogance. Yeah. So you might be saying, well, how can you have certainty about it? Well, there are things that are foundational to my faith that I can be certain about. One of them, like I said, is the is the person and work of Jesus Christ, yes. who He is, what He has done. Yes. Those are the things that I build my faith upon. But I feel like we try to put so many things into that foundation that mm-hmm. aren't there. That then, when our kids come along and they go huh, I learned this in science class. I'm not even saying what they learned in science class is right, but I'm saying I I learned this in science class, and it doesn't jive at all with what mom and dad and my church have been telling me uh, is certain over all these years. And if they at all are like, well, then maybe if that's not certain, then this isn't certain. And and all of a sudden they're deconstructing, to use the word, not just what they believed about creation, but what they've been told about Jesus. Mm. If I tell my kids, hey, my best guess on how creation worked, but, but Hey guys, I want you to know what, what is important in this conversation is that God created the heavens and the earth.
2: Yes. Period. Like
1: we will base our, our faith upon that. Yeah. How that I can't tell you if the world right. is sick was, was made in six days or 6 billion years. Right. I don't know. Right. Then when my kid sits in science class mm-hmm. and is told this stuff, they could go, okay, I want to learn more. I want to debate this, but it's not going to now go. Is God actually real? Right, mom and right. dad told me that. Like, that's right. why this conversation matters.
2: Yeah. it. it and I, I think that's exactly right. Like, sometimes we, we get so bent on and stuck on, like, even things like the Garden of Eden was in a specific location <laughs> mm-hmm, no matter mm-hmm. what. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Were the writers of Genesis telling a beautiful poetic story to explain things? We don't know about, like, were those six days literally, like, and that our faith is not dependent on that. Yes, our faith is dependent on God as creator, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. period. But you're right. Then when our kids hear those things in school or we even question, it's not as shaky. Like, the ground is not as shaky because we're willing to hold certain things with uncertainty mm, yeah, yeah, in a way yeah. that is still faithful to Christianity and Orthodox Christianity. That uh, scripture you're referencing is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of what we hope for a conviction of things not seen. Mm. So we're talking about things hoped for things unseen. And therefore the nature of that means there's uncertainty, there's mystery. That doesn't mean it's not true. That's right. And I think that's where we, that's where we can land Over at Relevant Magazine, they have an article. It's an older article from actually last year, Why Certainty Can Be So Dangerous for the Faith. This is by a guy named Jesse Carey. And um, they talk about that story, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace, and that famous line where they say, you know, we we do believe that our God is able to deliver us from your majesty's hand, Mm -hmm. but even if he does not, Mm -hmm. we are not going to bow down to your idols. And I... I think that's the wisdom that we're talking about here when it comes to faith. Like you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew God was able to rescue them, also did not know with certainty that he would, For sure, but that didn't shake their faith. Mm-hmm. They were still willing to say, and yet no matter what, we will not stop worshiping the God who loves us and the God who's with us in the fiery furnace. And I, I think that's... Um, the, something this article says that I think is just kind of the money quote. Faith isn't just about having answers. Mm. It's also about being able to recognize we may not have them all, but we can have confidence in the one who does.
1: Yeah, and so good. I think
2: that's what you're saying, Brian is we, we may not be able to have certainty in all of these various arguments and points and, whatever but we can have certainty in who god is in the resurrection that we're celebrating on easter sunday and in the things that like actually matter for our faith Yeah, that's the solid rock upon which we can build our entire life yeah
1: put your make the majors the majors like mm. let's let's focus on those it does like you said it doesn't mean these other things aren't important yeah uh but I like to think in terms of my kids. Like, if, if this part, if I were wrong, you know, if I told them you had to be certain about this, and it wasn't actually one of these foundational things, and then they disagree with me, are they going to lose? Their, are we now deconstructing or this? No, we go, yeah. hey, here are the things. Uh, and if you want to know what those things are, I'd encourage you to read the Apostles' Creed. I would encourage you to read the Nicene okay. Creed. Yep. Here's the things that are non-negotiables for us, for me. Mm-hmm. But here's the things that are important, but I'm not certain yeah. about. We can talk about and, and and I think that that it releases the pressure mm, of having good. to have all the answers so am I certain that the tomb was empty yes amen am I certain about how creation exactly happened no I'm not yeah I'm okay with that and, and I'm good with that and you still love
2: Jesus and you're a yes. faithful Christian and a faithful follower. well we hope that that uh, puts some things in your mind to think about and encourages your heart on this holy week thanks so much for joining us today we'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian from I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.